welcome to the second episode of A Black Doctor and White Lesbian Walk Into a Bar. I am Teresa Hurd here with Tyrone Porter. And tonight we are joined by our other halves. I am with my wife, Emily Cox, and Tyrone is with Dr. Monica Porter. And um, I'm gonna let Emily introduce herself and then Monica, please introduce yourself and we can talk about our, our, a, our drink and our yes. topic for tonight. All right, well, my name is Emily Cox. I'm not a doctor, but I am a principal. So you can call me Principal Cox. We certainly do. A lot of people do. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Very excited to be here tonight. Where are you with, from? I am from, I grew up in Washington, D.C., born and raised, and um, then moved on to Baltimore, where I got my teaching degree, started my teaching career. From there, I went on to Boston, where I founded a charter school as a French teacher, and then eventually made my way into administration with the Boston Public Schools. And Boston's also where I met the wonderful Teresa and our dear friends, Monica and Tyrone. There is an important point there about that uh, job at the public school. It was the oldest elementary school in the United States. It was like, it was huge deal. That is true. It was the Mather Elementary School, first public elementary school founded in North America in 1639. Some of the kids would ask mm -hmm. her if it was the first principal. That's true. That's right. Talk about <laughs> detention. Those kids are still in detention. Very unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> For the rest of their lives. Oh, that's right. Uh, Monica, well, let's hear a little bit about you. Well, hello. Um, it's certainly a pleasure to be here with you all tonight. Um, I'm Dr. Monica Hall Porter, the spouse of Dr. Tyrone Porter. I'm originally from a small town in Northeast Texas called Hawkins. Um, I graduated from Hawkins High School in 1996, went on to college in Virginia at Hampton University, and then uh, went on to uh, do my doctoral work at Wake Forest University and from Wake Forest um, Dr. Tyrone swept me off my feet and we were married and moved to Boston where we met uh, Emily and Teresa uh, and we are currently oh yeah we picked them up at a bar excuse me oh you know yeah, they totally picked us up it's true they did sure um we you had a nickname for us and it was based on the name of the restaurant um, yeah, we didn't talk about the last time. What did you used to call us? The GBGs. <laughs> great Bay Girls. The Great Bay Girls. Bay Girls. Infamous, <laughs> the infamous Great no. Bay Girls. Famous. <laughs> infamous. What did we do? We did things. Okay. <laughs> um, well, we are so glad to um, to have our guest wives on. Uh, we, are, we are now complete. Uh, and tonight, uh, Tyrone, what are we going to talk about? Well, tonight, first, we're going to introduce these cocktails because oh, right. you know, we, we, we are, it is uh, a different era. We are in different states, but we do still love to get together for a good cocktail. Mm -hmm. That's how we all, that's how we all met that as well as being foodies. Yeah. So, so today, okay. so today, so Monica and I, um, so the base spirit for today is gin. And Monica and I. Uh, made up was known as the aviation cocktail. Yeah. 
which was first introduced on the cocktail scene in the early 1900s, 1916, 1917. And what makes it really special or unique is this liqueur known as a creme de violette. Yeah. Creme de violette. Yeah, and it's a purple, it gives it a nice purplish hue. It's very um and it just adds an extra layer of just deliciousness mm-hmm. it's got that it's got like some maraschino liqueur in it too doesn't it as well there's some maraschino mm-hmm. liqueur that's in there as well so it's got a lot you know it's it, it's it's a good way to you know get to to europe without actually having to fly to europe <laughs> Yeah. We, we we actually recently discovered that cocktail and it's beautiful it's really like a lovely color yes and it's a lovely flavor mm-hmm. and it's got lemon juice it's got delicious dry gin that's in there everything just is well balanced and so monica and i have been enjoying and and the other thing is i just want to mention i did not know this until about a month ago San Francisco is making this, is distilling this own gin. Oh, there's a lot of gin coming out of San Francisco, actually. The Bay Area is- Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, it's delicious. You know, when you think gin, you're thinking more maybe London, you're thinking maybe more uh, uh, France, uh, uh, maybe somewhere other spots in Europe, definitely London, England. Mm -hmm. And San Francisco was making some delicious gin. So we're keeping it, we're keeping it American. They're making like new gin, which um, is like more junipery, more herbal. I think the old fashioned gins, which is what we're drinking, we're drinking a bomb, just a old a Bombay dirty martini. Um, we oh, that sounds to, delicious. Yeah, so we, it's delicious. we like it dirty over just here. Just a little dirty. Just a little dirty. We um, do you have stuffed olives? Just regular, a pimento stuffed olive. Oh, yummy. Yeah, we had big ambitions to make a, a, a Negroni because that's M's favorite gin go-to, but um, we did have a little pre-game, so we're, we kept it simple tonight. <laughs> yeah, Negronis are good as well. That's I, I, I was not, um, I have, normally I've not been a fan of Campari. Just a but, little Campari. But, yeah, but the Negroni is, is, you know, is really bitter, but with that sweet vermouth, it really balances out that, that Campari really nice. We put a couple drops of Campari in some champagne, and I will tell you what, that is lovely. It's not. Yes, lovely. it is. Yes, that's lovely. That might champagne, be. So champagne is my spirit animal. Um, <laughs> so that might be her new favorite drink, which you just described. We'll have to check that one out. Yeah. So wait a minute. So we've talked, seems like we've been talking about cocktails a lot. What else are we supposed to be talking well, about we're tonight? We're going to talk about this stuff, but let's toast first. Let's yeah. toast. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to clink here. Clink, clink. It's so good. Clink, clink. It's Wait, so good to be reconnected, even though it's through over thousands of miles. Doesn't feel like it. No, it doesn't. No, what anniversary is this for us? We've got to be coming up on. Uh, all I know is when we met you all. One week later, we celebrated Monica's thirtieth birthday. <laughs> so we met. We met in two thousand seven. Then, right? Because yeah. that was October two thousand seven when I turned thirty. Yep, 14. and it was. Yep, I want to say it was like September of 2007 yeah. we had just moved into the city had just bought a condominium a condo, yeah and you know we're really trying to really get connected with the city yeah um you know we felt it was really important to explore different different haunts different parts of the city and 
Where were you in, you were in Roxbury? Where were you? Yeah, we were in Roxbury. Roxbury. Yeah. You were in Roxbury. We were in Jamaica Plain. Mm -hmm. um, Monica, I remember. Uh, so I had a big garden and I'd be like, Monica, come over sometime, you know, whenever you want and pick herbs or pick something from the garden. And I just, I remember you saying like, they're going to call the cops on me if they see me sitting in your yard. You're like, your neighbors are not. And, you know, you said it like tongue in cheek, but, but only half, right? Like, you're oh, like, yeah. I'm just like sitting in these people's yard. We lived across the street from wonderful neighbors, but you, you know, you didn't know them. And honestly, mm -hmm. we didn't they didn't know her. No. And we, we hadn't been to Roxbury. And I think it, you know, for us, we, it was, it was like good for both of us, like going to your house, you had an awesome condo, you had a back, great backyard and your neighbors were great. You threw like the best crab, Crawfish, crawfish boil, yeah. and uh, it was good for both of us. You know, I think like being able to go into a new part of the city that we didn't know, um, and we loved having you over. We spent a lot of time in our yard, um, and you know, but it, I just I do remember you saying that, and it, I know you were sort of kidding, but I was like, oh man, it you know she's kidding, but there's there's <laughs> there's, there's a little bit of truth to that. So, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, before before we jump into our our topic, um, for those who are, are sort of new to, to Boston or, or haven't visited Boston very often or have never lived in Boston. Boston is a, is a neighborhood city. Um, people typically stay in their own neighborhoods. And you're right, folks in Roxbury, maybe they will go to Dorchester, but you know, how often would they go to Jamaica Plains or how often would they go to Cambridge? You, know, you can kind of find everything that you will want in your respective neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so, the boundaries, folks just normally didn't didn't cross those boundaries. It was a little unusual. So the fact that we were going back and forth between our respective neighborhoods was different. It was yeah. sort of like we were talking about during our first episode, having having couples that could get along with each element or person within the other couple mm -hmm. is also unique. So mm -hmm. there was a lot of unique things. We were breaking all the rules is right. what we were doing. <laughs> oh, Still are. not only a neighborhood city, but an extremely segregated city. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, when you so you moved there before you had kids. We remember yeah. when you were young, wild, and free. Mm -hmm. Free uh, is right. <laughs> <laughs> you guys would I remember we'd all go out for dinner, hang out, and it'd be like eleven o'clock. Teresa and I oh were like, God, okay, so we're so true. Yeah, we're like, we're good for the evening, and you all would just be heading out. It's so true. We were just your happy hour. It'd be like, like yeah, eleven o'clock. You're we're like, all right, we're going to bed. You're like, we're just going out. Yeah, that's their day just just beginning. We were like, oh, the oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah, that was the pregame. Oh my god, that was the pregame. That was the warm up. I remember, I remember leaving, I remember a party at your house and it was maybe 10, 10 30 at night and we were headed out the door and you guys were like, oh, it's time, you know, good night. We're going to bed. We're like, oh, we're going to number nine park for another cocktail. You guys are like, what, what do you mean you're going out again? We have a whole other story about number nine park and cheese, but, um, yeah, that's on another night. Let's not go that route. I want to, uh, I want to ask you though. So you, it was before kids. You then had kids and, you know, raising, you have two boys now, two amazing, beautiful boys who are hilarious and smart and all the wonderful things. Um, you're raising two black boys in a segregated Boston neighborhood city. What, 
was going through your minds as far as now we also know you've since moved, but what was going through your minds as far as, you know, staying in your neighborhood, um, you know, having to raise these boys, you know, and, and have conversations with them. What, what were you, what were you thinking about as far as um, staying in the city, moving outside of the city and, and how you're going to navigate that. And even sending them to the local public school. So, so you know, really good the, it, Teresa, you know, what you asked and what Emily said really hit the nail on the head as far as what my answer to that question would be. I mean, the first thing I thought about was what is school going to look like for my children? And I recall being very anxious around the fact that Boston Public School had the, the lottery system, basically where you rank elementary schools that are in your zone and you know, they put the rankings into a computer and it spits out what school you're gonna go to. I was terrified by the notion that we had an excellent school around the corner from our home, but we could be sent to a school in the opposite direction that um, by standard measurements was not experiencing the same level of success. Mm -hmm. And so that was terrifying to me. I recall when we got our school assignment for our oldest child oh, yeah. being absolutely- Which was around the corner. It was a school that school she was around mentioning. The corner, right? yeah. Being absolutely thrilled. I felt like we won the lottery. We did. Literally yeah. like getting that yeah. assignment. And what that meant though, is not only was our oldest child gonna be able to go to a school that had a great record of, of achievement and was eventually a school of recognition in Boston, um, but um, I think they uh, gained that that designation the second year that our oldest son was there. But that meant that our youngest child was going to have that experience as well. And so it's like we locked in what looked to be a more positive or promising pathway for them through their schooling. And um, because I thought if we get, you know, any of the other schools that are on the list. I might be compelled to say, let's take it out to the suburbs. And um, so th the schools, and then also to, you know, um, with Boston being a very uh, segregated city, I was concerned about raising my children in an environment where everything was so separate. And I think that those concerns, they haven't eased up they will always persist. But I was particularly worried in Boston, um, given the history um, of schooling in Boston and then just the history of the um, relationship um, with the communities of color and the police. It's just terrifying. And that can happen anywhere, but I was really concerned about Boston. So Emily, you, and so Em was a educator, you know, at that time. And I remember you guys having conversations about schooling and and the, the, the history of Boston and segregation and busing. I mean, M, you, you guys all know more, way more than I do, but M, I mean, I remember you giving your perspective, but us also being, you know, scared for you guys and, and like, boy, what, you know, because we, we hear so much about you and the boys and, and we, you know, we, we don't have kids. And, but just the thought of like, you know, what, what, what kind of, you know, what's a decision that they're going to make? But M, like, what was your perspective at that time? Hmm. Well, because you I also think, you were a principal in Dorchester in a predominantly you know black community, and uh, you know yeah, it, where it, we saw a lot of our you know kids as young as fourth and fifth grade were already in gangs and just the 
you know, we're exposed to a ton of violence. I remember thinking, um, God, I, I, I don't know what I would do if I were Monica and Tyrone. Like, I, I can't imagine raising, and this is a terrible thing to say, but I can't imagine raising a black male in this area where there is just, there, there, I don't know, so many, I'm having a hard time articulating this because now I'm not, I'm not used to this kind of pressure of a podcast. You'll be like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't usually do this kind of thing. We'll just talk to our friends. They're right there. I know. Um, but I was just thinking about like, uh, you know, my own students at the school, so many kids got caught up in at the wrong place at the wrong time. So even though, you know, parents were doing the best they could to ensure that they, their kids were involved in all the right activities and, you know, doing well in school. And a lot of our kids would end up literally in the wrong place at the wrong time and get themselves in a ton of trouble um, just because they were black males, you know, whether it was getting in trouble with the police. I, I remember, um, you know, one of my big goals as a principal in a predominantly black elementary school was to really improve relationships between our kids and the community and the local police. So I remember we had this incredible program where our local community police officers would come in and do really positive um, programs with the kids. So they would, they would come in, they would be reading buddies, they would, uh, you know, participate in sports teams. I remember one of the first times I brought one of the officers into the school. I was taking him around. We went into one of the kindergarten classes. And as soon as we walked in, um, two of my kids literally dove under the tables and burst into tears. They were terrified, literally just, just shaking. And, and it didn't even occur to me that I had to think about that in advance that I, oh, I should have actually given that teacher a big heads up and made sure that because we're white and we're like, we're oh, white. the police, right. well, they're thinking, our friends, yeah. like they keep us safe. I thought for sure the kids would be so excited that officer so-and-so is coming in, but instead two of them dove under the, under their desks and, and, and were in hysterics because of whatever they had witnessed at home. Um, so mm -hmm. I just remember, you know, on the one hand being so incredibly excited for the two of you that you, you had first you know, one beautiful boy and then the second. And then I thought, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm so scared for you. And I'm scared for the, your, for your sons, just because of where you're living and what they look like. And I, I, I can't, I can't empathize with that. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it was, um, no, that, that, that would be, in my opinion, to be true in most American cities. Yeah. Um, it is not something that is limited to Boston or the Northeast. Um, some true. places can actually be worse. Oh, yeah. Um, Boston. Um, so, you know, we, we were fortunate, I will say, that we were fortunate to live in the, in the neighborhoods and the pockets within Roxbury yeah. um, where we did live. Um, we had great neighbors. Um, the first place oh, and white you had, you had like a your your two, right. your two buildings were very like integrated which was great yeah i was gonna yeah. say we had great neighbors um in the places where we lived of all background Hispanic, and that was white, awesome. um, south asian south asian yeah. i mean it was it was a good mix our next door neighbors were a, a black family that had been in boston for uh, actually i think the wife was born and raised in boston mm -hmm. had been in boston the husband had moved to Boston when he was younger. Um, they had great kids. So the first place we lived, 
the neighborhood, the neighbors were really good. And then the second place that we lived, which was only about just over a mile away, it was still mm -hmm. in Roxbury, but it was even more amazing mm -hmm. because the street we were on had, it was even more diverse than the first street we lived on. Mm -hmm. um, and we and had that really hot neighbor. Who was she? Emily. Oh, what? Oh, we're not supposed to no. talk about that? Oh, we're I'm not. Sorry. We're not. Yeah, but she no. was beautiful. Come Emily. on. What? Is that wrong? Yes. <laughs> Am I not Emily, who's to... retiring and doesn't care about um, <laughs> not wrong. It's you, fine. Come on. Yeah. We won't talk about it. I think this was Jason's Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This Jason's is our oldest son's godmother. Yes. And that was the first time we lived. I didn't know that. The other thing, though, I will say when when the boys uh, when when you're when um, your first son got into school, the principal there was someone who was in Emily's principal fellowship, and mm -hmm. there was just I think well for us it was like oh my god we know your principal she's amazing she's and gonna take care of them she's and and yeah. I mean M called her and she's like our 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 dear friends are coming in with their son you will watch out for him right and she was like absolutely but just having like you know being able to connect you guys um i think was was for us like you know at least something we could do something again we don't have kids we're you know but it was like em's like oh my gosh remains amazing she's gonna take care of those boys oh yeah didn't i i think i took you into the office once we knew you got in yeah. i'm like yeah. oh my god I can't you have the most amazing print so i'm gonna take you in and introduce you and can I just say that with regard to lessons that I did learn, I mean, so when we entered that school, no one wanted to be president of the, of the parent um, uh, council. And so I volunteered to do it um, and it was a wild ride. But, you know, looking back on that experience with that principal um, and the lessons that I learned on uh, the parent council in Boston, I really now have a very deep sense of appreciation um, she was so focused on equity. And now that we don't have, we're in a different environment that's not so focused on equity, it seems like. Um, boy, I got to tell you, I learned some really important lessons from her um, that I'm carrying uh, into involvement with uh, parent council or parent or PTO, PTA, uh, where we are now. And it's just, uh, it's amazing what you can reflect on and see that you've learned over the years. So she taught me a lot of good lessons about uh, all things school related. Well, when going through the fellowship, I mean, equity was such a big part of, I felt like I actually got my uh, degree as she well. Did. She got her master's in education. Yeah, administration I might have. Through the Boston Public School <laughs> through, Fellowship. Through Emily. Yeah. But equity was such a big part of that, you know, and, and it was that that program was literally built to foster that. Right, like that. That was yeah. It was Boston of, Public Schools home growing its own principles, with the major, major focus being on race and equity. Yeah, but I want to I want to make another comment with regards to uh, raising the boys in Boston, uh, because after Jordan, who's the second, he's our youngest. Uh, they're eight and four. Oh my God, um, who's eight? Yeah, Jason is already. He eight. just turned eight. No, How is that possible? He is going to be he is going to be growing uh, peach fuzz on his on above his lips soon. I don't want to hear it. I can't. Hear it. <laughs> like a oh, Billy yeah. goat soon. And, but but a big so after Jordan was born, we were having conversations of moving because our first place we had outgrown. 
And once again, for those who have not lived in the Northeast, you know, smaller, smaller housing and, and, and homes is common, whether it's a townhouse or a condominium or an apartment, it's not unusual to find a family of four or five people that are living, with, you know, like 1500 square feet. We're in Texas now, and you know, Texans are big. Yeah. Oh my God, they, they would be like, how in the world did you all survive? It's like, you guys are living on top of each other. I mean, how in the world could you survive with less than 2000 square feet? But it's just normal in the Northeast. So we had outgrown that first place and we were looking to buy a different place. And we were, we were very, very anxious because Jason was in a good school. The principal, like you just mentioned, uh, Principal Cox knew. Um, it's, a, it's a fairly small school so that all the kids know each other. The teachers know all the students. It has sort of a, almost like a charter school feel to it. And we were, we were anxious about having to take him out of the school. We were also anxious about leaving what we felt like was a very diverse, very sort of inclusive neighborhood and moving out to the suburbs in order to get a bigger place. Right. And moving to a place where we didn't know very many people, where we didn't know the school system very well. We didn't know how our kids or our sons were gonna be treated in that school system. And so there was a lot, there was as much anxiety about that as there was about where our first was going to be placed in mm -hmm. the school. Mm -hmm. And we were fortunate to find the place that we did in the city where it was actually still in the same zone as the school he was in. So he was able to stay at the same school. That is really, in my opinion, that's really hard in Boston. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is for families of color, they typically end up getting pushed out of the city. Yeah. If you're trying to find a bigger place, you get priced out. And it's not just Boston, like it is an epidemic. It's an epidemic around the country. It's happening in Austin. Um, it's happening in DC. It's happening in Atlanta. It's happening in Miami. It's everywhere. happening in LA. It's happening everywhere. Um, folks, persons of color in particular, are getting priced out of places in the city, places that you are familiar with places where you've got all your friends, maybe even some family. And when you're ready to move and find a bigger place, you just can't afford it. And so what are you supposed to do? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, and, and it's so funny, cause like we, we have, you know, a number of friends who lived in the suburbs or moved to the suburbs who were actually very um, uh, concerned and, and also wanted a diverse, you know, upbringing for their kids, they're white. And then all of a sudden they're like moving out to like Needham and or 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 Newton or whatever, and we're like, whoa, we're like, but you know, you you, you have to make a trade off, right? Like, it, unfortunately, you have to make a trade off. Um, and you know, I, I think it was really hard for 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 our friends because they were like, no, it's really important to us, but these are our kids, and we don't have that many options. You know, you you you're right, you you lose in the lottery. And you can't get your kid into a private school or or, or, or tested into Latin or whatever. So, um, yeah, it's it's a problem in in Boston. It's a problem in in so many cities now. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to say something very provocative, and um, I'm going to be paraphrasing. Not something that I. This is not my perspective, but um, people would say, "Well, you're good parents, and so you you know." you really care about your kids but you know there's a lot of parents out there who you know they don't care as much or 
And I, you know, you, you hear this kind of thing from white people who say that about, you know, I would say particularly um, sing black or, or people of color, single parents. And there's an assumption that if your kid, if their kids are home alone, or if their kids don't show up to school, or if they're, it's because they don't care. So I call BS on that. No, 100%. Because I, because I don't know anyone who has children, no matter where they are, what station of life they find themselves in, everybody wants better than what they did for their children. Yep. And I think that anyone who makes the mistake of judging people before they know the choices that that other person had is really um, short-sighted. Because a lot of times the choices that people make are, you know, they might not make the best choice in your opinion, from your life experience, from your perspective, but given the choices they had and their perspective and their life experience, they did the best for them. So I don't know any parent that doesn't want better for their kid. Um, and I would challenge anyone who has that, who has that mentality, oh, you know, they didn't choose the best or they didn't do the best or that they, they just, could. Yeah, no, I, 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 which is why I bring it up. And I, I, I think it, it, again, it's, it's not something people consciously think of like, well, you know, of course everyone cares for the kids, but I think when people see other people um, making decisions or doing things that they don't believe are in the best interest of those kids, well, they must not be parents. Right. Well, yeah. they must not, you know, because like, how could you leave your kid alone uh, when they're seven years old? It's like, well, have you had to work three jobs ever? Well, I feel like that was maybe one of our big takeaways when, when both Teresa and I were going through my fellowship in, in Boston. <laughs> And I did you went, have to pay one tuition? Yeah, we just paid one tuition. Oh, actually, I got, I got paid for it. That's right. It was, yeah, it was a paid fellowship. Oh my god, that's awesome! Oh, but I trust oh, me, yeah. I paid for it. She definitely. <laughs> paid for it. I remember going through my family engagement course, which was was such a huge eye opening experience. We had this amazing woman. Her name was Karen Mapp, and she was like the guru oh, yeah. of all family engagement. I think she's still in Boston Public Schools. Like in their she is. She actually uh, met. She actually uh, met with uh, our parent council yeah. to walk us through some best practices. And she's amazing. Okay. Sorry. Oh yeah, she would teach us uh, yeah, like the the book called Heroes and Holidays when you talk about how you're like uh, you know celebrating Black history. It's not just about like oh this hero and this holiday and and beyond the bake sale and all these great conversations, but. I think I remember, I wish I could remember the name of the book I read, but essentially we, we talked about how when families come into the schools, often we're dealing with families that have been there for generations and generations. So every family member that comes in, and especially when you're talking about um, our black families from generations ago that probably experienced horrible, horrible things at the same school that when they were dealing with issues around like desegregation, like they're bringing their own ghosts into the school. So they themselves are bringing the terrible experiences that they had. They were probably treated awfully by the by administration and by school leaders. So it's it, it kind of starts changing your perspective. Um, like you, you see folks coming in and challenging in you and often the first tendency is to be like, oh, well, you know, what do you know? You're, you're a terrible parent. You're, you're challenging me. You're like, oh, you, you don't. I'm just looking out for your kid. I'm just looking out for your kid. But then you, you kind of take that step back and you start to think, well, 
you know, the reality is everybody cares, but everyone wants best for, for their kid. And every parent is sending you their best kid in a sense. Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember like, as, as the more we started learning about really taking that step back and thinking about the perspective of all the families that were coming to us, I feel like I started becoming a lot more cognizant of the, the folks around me who would be like, oh, as soon as they, they learned, oh, you're a principal in Boston public schools, how do you deal with all those parents who don't care about their kids? I'm like, wait, what are, wait, I'm, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? You know, those parents that are just like, you know, they, they don't come to the parent conferences and when their kids do terrible things, they don't care and they don't show up. I'm like, or they push back or they or yell they, at they you. They push back, they call you terrible names. I'm like, well, here's the thing. Like there are literally no parents who don't care. Everybody cares about their kids. Everyone loves their kids. A lot of people are, they're, they're, they're caught up in the, this horrible system of oppression. That, that's the reality. It's not that they don't care about their kids. It's often they don't have the resources they don't, they don't have what they, they, they haven't been equipped to, to, to be, they don't know how to advocate for themselves, but it has nothing to do with how they feel and how much they love their kids. Right, right. So funny, like as we, as Teresa and I went through the experience of the fellowship, <laughs> I think we lost a lot of friends during that time. We, we started speaking up because yeah. we would go out with our, you know, friends from like many white friends who are, again, were like, oh, you're in Boston Public Schools. How do you deal with those parents? How do you deal with specifically with those black parents? Aren't they horrible? And not horrible, but, not hard, horrible, but like how they don't care about their kids. And I remember we hit a point where I didn't even have to say anything anymore because Teresa took over. <laughs> but, yes, I love it. Training and, and I would just step back and she would just go for it. I'm like, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they're, they're, well, I mean, and part of the reason why we're doing this, right, is like, you don't know until you know. And, and then all of a sudden when, when you, you know, you, you understand something from a different perspective, all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, right. Oh, right. So I, I'm not having the experience of that mother, wh whether they're, you know, able to have a job or not have a job, they have a, you know, addiction or they don't, they're working five jobs or they're working no jobs. Like we cannot for a minute put ourselves into that position ever. Um, and, and, you know, but you, you can seek to understand you can never empathize, but you can seek to understand. And I think, you know, when you finally are like, oh my gosh, there's there's this awakening. <laughs> when you meet other people who don't have it, it, it was hard. Like it was like, how, why don't these people understand? I'm like, wait, we also have to remember we, we didn't understand either, right? And so you, you know, Emily really, and continues to seek to understand it in, in such a profound way. Um, but, you know, it, it not everyone is in the same place as you are. And so like, how do we, how do we help people come along if, if that's what they want, you know, if they're open to it. And again, is what, which is why we're doing this, the, you know, this, this podcast. Yeah. I was just going to add that first and foremost, you know, it, it is so inspiring to hear that you all wanted that you sought to understand because not, not everybody does. Um, and, you know, Teresa, when you and I were first discussing having this type of podcast, um, I mean, I envisioned that, it was an opportunity for people to at least be inspired to seek to understand because to just immediately just judge a book by its cover, um, to not take the steps to try to understand, to try to um, put yourself in somebody else's place a little bit um, is, 
it's de- it's I don't know it's defeating it is um it, it's it is disappointing uh, is maybe the best way to say it. it's extremely disappointing and we we had that experience actually with when we moved to the the area in Roxbury our first place it was walking distance to Jackson Square oh yeah oh my god and I remember Monica <clears throat> mentioning to folks that she was working with um she was a postdoc her postdoctoral fellowship was at a, a really good place, really a world-renowned hospital. Um, and she had to take the orange line and, and her stop was the Jackson Square stop. And people would comment. Yeah, I had a coworker say, well, you take the tea from, from Jackson Square every day, aren't you scared? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, no, I walk to the tea, I get on, nobody, I mean, I'm not, bothered people aren't bothering me everybody's going to work everybody's coming home like there's no trouble what are you talking about and so that person literally thought that since I lived at that tea stop that I must be walking through a battlefield every day to get to work like is and it's nothing like that I recall even like you know taking my um granny I call it a granny cart but my old lady cart granny cart (laughs) uh, to the um the, from our place up on Fort Hill in Roxbury into uh, Jackson Square in Jamaica Plain to go to grocery shopping and just filling my little cart up and walking from literally from beyond the, tea sta- the train station all the way back up the hill with a load of groceries and not thinking anything of it. And, and, and this walk is, once again, just to give some context, this walk has got to be two thirds of a mile to a mile. Um, but in Boston, that's normal. People will walk two thirds of a mile to a mile, maybe even longer than that. That's just that's just the Boston living. But the fact that a coworker just assumed, based off of what she had, heard, that coworker had heard, what she had, what the coworker had, had seen on the news, that that must be one of the most dangerous spots in Boston to walk. Yeah. And if you're out there walking just to get to the T to go to work, you literally are walking over like dead bodies. You're walking over like, you're dodging bullets. There's probably needles scattered all over the street. People with needles in their arms. That's got to be most one of the most horrifying, but in their mind, that's what they see. Mm-hmm. Without ever saying, can I actually come pay you a visit, have a cup of coffee or tea mm-hmm. and have a better sense of what the neighborhood is like? You won't even go- Like for us, for us, you know, knowing you guys in Roxbury and seeing your, like, I think that, you know, and again, we were like, yeah, let's go. Let's, let's hang out. Like we, we weren't, um, I would, I would never say we're like, oh my gosh, we're scared to go over there. Cause we, you know, we're like, well, these are our friends and, and, you know, they're, they're not going to bring us somewhere where we're going to be, you know, unsafe, but going there and, and seeing it. And then it was, just, you know, it was just, it was just another neighborhood, you know, and it was like, it wasn't, there was nothing that was like, oh, you know, so, but, but we, prior to that, we didn't take time out to go see or visit. And so, I mean, how do you, how can you encourage, or what, what would you say to people um, who might have that perspective? Like, how do you, how do you get people to, to go seek something out? Or, you know, I think it's until it becomes personal, right? We had friends, so we went there. You had friends, so you came to us. What do you what do you think we could you know say to people to encourage them to to you know find a different perspective? Don't be afraid to step out of the box. Yeah, Yeah. or outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, you know, and also establish friendships. You know, we talked about this in the first episode. Establish friendships with people who have 
very different life experiences than your own, mm-hmm. right? And and that needs to be, I, I think that's the best way to learn and to grow. Um, I remember a friend of mine when I was living in Cincinnati and Cincinnati was his own experience, but I was living in Cincinnati and I recall a coworker friend who mentioned that she had gone through growing and learning as a student and as an adult she was expecting this transition to i'm done learning i'm done evolving i can just be set <laughs> she's reached nirvana wow. <laughs> was she like freaking buddha i have reached my peak <laughs> wow but but she and, and she actually transitioned from being a fairly radical uh, sort of progressive person and being much more conservative as she got to that peak as she felt and it became much more sort of settled in her belief system and her lifestyle and she just sort of transitioned into just a different person huh. and we, we we used to have similar to we have these conversations I still um, find her call, consider her a good friend because she, we, we would have these open conversations and sometimes they would turn into arguments you know, but they were honest arguments. Yep. They were never hurtful arguments. They were honest arguments. So the other thing I would mention is it's okay to debate. Mm-hmm. It's okay to have a difference of opinion. And I do see in today's America that this, this, there's a feeling that if we're having a conversation and you don't agree and we continue to have this debate, you're trying to change my belief system and it's also okay to actually have evolution in your belief system, to have a little bit of change, to move to a new place. That is just part of being human. I think That's people do though try and change people's opinions. Like if you don't agree with me, I'm gonna spend a lot of effort trying to change your opinion. And, and I, I not, well, I was gonna say, I was gonna say not me personally, but that's not true. That's like my whole job. But I think you know, <laughs> in society, like if we have a difference of opinion, like people dig in. Like, this is what I think. And it's really hard to listen then when you have that opinion, whether it's like with friends about talk or, or even a couple, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think this, you think that I'm going to keep saying the same thing to you over and over until maybe I can convince you or wear you out <laughs> until you understand what I'm, you know, and believe what I believe. And that's just not that, like, that doesn't work, right? So you no, do, it doesn't. It doesn't you know, ever. So you have to like, like listening and hearing a different perspective. Um, sometimes it's really hard because you want to jump in and you want to tell you like, yeah, but yeah, it's like, like, you know, if you can let that go for two seconds and just, you know, hear and assume innocence, right. Assume someone's not, you know, a bad person, assume someone's just like telling their truth. But in order to get to that point where you're even able to have those conversations, you've got to have that trust first. Yeah. Like, I think that that having that relationship is the essential part to being able to actually approach those conversations in a, in a, in a positive way. Oh, in a positive way, for sure. Right. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I um, have loved this episode and I think listening to you guys about your boys and, um, you know, your perspective on education and just, uh, you know, Boston and, and, you know, I think in an episode, another episode, I do want to hear about 
Austin. Sometimes I say Boston and people think I said Austin and then I all say, the time. Everyone thinks we're from Austin. Yeah. Where are you from? Boston. Um, but no, it, this Boston. was great. And um, Emily and Monica, thank you guys so much for joining us. And we, um, we will follow up with our next episode um, and our next drink. Thank Are we you. ever going to be invited back again? We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, think, I think, Emily, I think they're going to ditch us. I think so too. Monica, you and I, we're going to have our own podcast. Oh yeah, what are you going to call that? We're going to call it All the Single Ladies Go. I love you guys. All right, love, love you too. too. Thank you so much for listening and tune in for more episodes of a black doctor and a white lesbian walking to a bar.